Welcome to Running Up the Score. I'm Alex Kennedy. This is my show where we talk all things sports. Today we have two guests, uh, an NFL guest later, and then first an NBA guest. Uh, I am joined by the creator and host of the Setting Up the Pace podcast, a fantastic Indiana Pacers podcast. Definitely check it out. He also has a substat called The Blue and Golden. My guest is Alex Golden. Alex, how are you? Hey, I'm doing good, Alex. How are you, man? I'm doing great. Uh, I had to bring you on because we just had a huge trade in the NBA. We haven't got a chance to talk about it on this show. Pascal Siakam is now a member of the Indiana Pacers. Throughout the year, CJ Miles was on the show. He he talked about how Indiana would be the perfect destination for Siakam. A couple other guests had talked about how the Indi- the Pacers were looking for you know a, a top scorer that they could add alongside Tyrese Halliburton. Obviously, Halliburton can score the ball. He's averaging you know almost twenty four points per game. But they definitely wanted that number one scorer since Tyrese is more of a pass first facilitator type. What are your thoughts on Siakam's fit with Indy? And what was your first reaction when you saw this trade go down? Yeah, I guess my first reaction was really just surprised that the Pacers were able to pull away Pascal Siakam for the package they did give up. And, I mean, I know Bruce Brown is a good player, but team option for next year, it felt like they definitely overpaid him to reach that salary floor and eventually move him. And then you throw in Jordan Moore, a guy that was probably not going to be here past the deadline because of his contract situation and the fact that he was on the outside looking into the rotation. Then you're looking at three picks that are more than likely late teens in the middle of the 20s, somewhere around there for the future if everything plays out right. So I thought to myself, that's not really that much to go get a two-time All-NBA power forward and a two-time All-Star in Pascal Siakam. That's 29 years old, right in the heart of his prime. So I thought this is a great pairing for him with Tyrese Halliburton because the Pacers needed a second star. And I think the good thing about watching the Pacers make the in-season tournament championship run where they ultimately lost to the Lakers, it kind of showed them their weaknesses if they are to make a playoff run. Obviously, they beat Boston and Milwaukee to get there, but the Lakers were able to completely take them out of their game, and Indiana had no oppor- no way to kind of stop that size. So I thought getting past Gausiakam, a secondary playmaker with Tyrese, that, like you said, can be a scorer. That's going to put a lot of pressure on opposing defenses, and it'll take away some of that pressure Tyrese is getting or make teams pay if they do want to double-team him. One of the things that C.J. Miles pointed out, I think it's a great point, this Pacers team, you know, they're the number one offense in the NBA, the fastest pace in the NBA, but Siakam kind of gives them a half-court creator, too. I think that's important in the playoffs, someone that you can kind of just give the ball to, and then he goes and creates his own shot. Um, I think he's second in the NBA in terms of most points without an assist. I think Embiid's the only player that is better at kind of creating his own shot. There was a status all about that. So, you know, he can be an offensive engine in, in the playoffs. I think that's really important, not only being able to score out in, in transition, but having another half-court threat as well. Um, what are your thoughts on kind of his fit alongside Halliburton and what that could look like going forward? Yeah, I mean, the Pacers love to play fast. They're number one in pace, and I think Toronto's right there behind them, and both are very high up there in the uh, fast-break points. So Pascal Siakam actually, I believe, leads the NBA in transition field goal percentage, and Halliburton leads the league in transition assists. So those two together, you're talking about the best passer in the NBA in Tyrese Halliburton assist-wise. You know, you can make the argument maybe there's better passers out there, but, you know, for the Pacers standpoint, Tyrese Halliburton is a terrific passer, one of the best in the league, and he's always keeping his head up, and he's looking for that guy. And if Pascal's running the floor, I think it's going to be a seamless fit. The Pacers have done a really good job of not going out and getting players that don't fit their style. And that's one thing Pascal Siakam does. He hasn't been a great three-point shooter this season. I know over the last like 15, 20 games, it's been closer to 50%. So that means he has improved his shot a little bit. I think that's something the Pacers are going to need from him 
But if you watch any of these games and you saw Tyrese getting double teamed and you saw the amount of pressure that Tyrese was drawing, there was nobody there to relieve it from him. And, and that's where Pascal Siakam comes in. I kind of mentioned that earlier when you asked me, but I'm really just fascinated, like you said, in that half-court offense. The Pacers actually have a pretty good half-court offense. They're the number one offense in the league this year, but their half-court offense is right up at the top, too. So I think adding a guy like Pascal, another guy that can get his own bucket, it's just going to open up so much more for this Pacers offense. And they've already got really prolific shooting on this team with a Buddy Hield, who's a career 40% three-point shooter. Tyrese Halliburton's a great three-point shooter. Aaron Neesmith is shooting incredible from three this season. And then you got guys like Jalen Smith, Obi Toppin, who have also shot the ball well from three. This is what this Pacer team does, and he's just going to draw so much more gravity to what they're trying to run. So right now, uh, Indiana, they're seventh in the Eastern Conference. There are people wondering, does this trade make the Pacers a legitimate contender in the East? What do you think? Do you, do you think now they could be a championship contender? Even if it's not this season, you know, if this core continues going forward, we'll talk about, you know, Siakam's contract situation in a second. But do you think now, you know, this year and maybe going forward, this team's a contender? It's it's tough to kind of put them already up in that upper echelon of teams just because it's so new. We haven't even seen anything yet. I do think that the Pacers being seven and four against the top three teams in the Eastern Conference this regular season does make you feel like, hey, maybe they can compete with these guys. So I know there's been a lot of different outlets that have said, oh, the Pacers didn't move the needle much here. Yeah, they got a little better, but it's not doing that much. I'm going to push back on that. I think the Pacers are already in a really good spot. They've got an incredible coach in Rick Carlisle who knows what it takes to win. I, I think that Tyrese Halliburton is, is rising into superstardom number one league uh, vote getter for Eastern Conference All-Stars by fan vote return, which is just crazy to me. More votes than Steph Curry in the Western Conference, which I never thought I would see that day, that a guy in Indiana would get more votes than a multi-time league MVP. So that's where it's really interesting to me. I think that Pascal Siakam does raise their floor and their ceiling uh, instantly. And it wouldn't shock me if they had like a Atlanta Hawks type of run to an Eastern Conference Finals if everything broke for them. But I think right now to say that they're right there, it's a little bit of putting the cart before the horse. But, you know, give it a give it a year or two, see what other moves they can make. I mean, the flexibility this team has, not really giving up too many assets in this trade to get him, it does open up some opportunities for them to be a little bit more aggressive in the trade market. So Siakam is an unrestricted free agent after the season ends. There's talk about, you know, will he resign Indiana? Uh, I think there was the report that Sacramento, Golden State, other teams showed interest in him, but he did not want to resign there, and, and his camp kind of made that clear. And so those talks kind of ended. Uh, I think one of the reasons why the Pacers were willing to do this is because he seems open to the idea of staying. We've seen reports that he loves the idea of playing with Halliburton since he is such a great passer and so unselfish. Uh, do you think we'll see Siakam you know, sign long-term, and that's one of the reasons why the Pacers are willing to give up uh, you know, three first-round picks? There's been a lot of stuff out there that's indicating that's the case. So I would kind of tip my hat to the 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 woges of the world, knowing that there's probably some kind of level of communication there. There were some talks that, you know, he didn't really want to commit long term to Golden State. And that's why there was a hold up there and a deal for Golden State and Toronto to have for, for Pascal going there. I, I just feel like he really likes this fit here. And I, one thing I like about Pascal Siakam so far in his career, we've yet to hear him really be kind of a problem. He just kind of comes to work and, and does his job and he doesn't really care about going to the media and really getting involved in kind of these, oh, I want out, that type of thing. He wanted to be in Toronto. That's the whole thing. He wanted to sign a, a five-year max deal with them and kind of finish out his career in Toronto. But they probably made the right move in moving off of him because they were in a different spot with where their roster is heading. But 
I think that Pascal coming to Indiana, there's a lot of different options here with what the Pacers can give him, but they can give him more money than anybody else can in the, in the NBA. And I think that's what it's going to come down to. I do think there will be some negotiations. I would be kind of shocked if he gets a max, but we'll see exactly what those numbers equal out to. I think that Indiana is banking on themselves and the fact that Tyrese Halliburton makes it such a fun place to play that he's going to want to stay here. So there's been question marks about that and they're, and they're understandable. But for me, I feel like it's more than it's more than likely he does resign here. I would be absolutely shocked if he leaves in free agency. Yeah, it's, it seems like that's the case based on the reports. There was also a report from Woj that uh, Indiana could attract a third star that now with Siakam and Halliburton there. And again, I think a lot of guys do want to play with a Halliburton type. Uh, not only... And I guess specifically Tyrese Halliburton, because not only the way he plays and, you know, setting others up, but he also seems like a great guy and and is friends with tons of players around the league. So it wouldn't surprise me if now other players are interested in going there and potentially they could even land a third star where, you know, they re-sign Siakam and, you know, you you have a really nice core of Halliburton, Siakam, Miles Turner, a great supporting cast, great coach. You know, do you think we could see a third star potentially go join those guys in Indiana just because the, the foundation is kind of set? Well, they say in the show business, stay tuned, right? So I'm kind of just waiting. I I don't want to get myself too excited because this is the first time we've seen the Pacers really trade for an all-star in several years. I mean, you have to go back to when they acquired Chris Mullen via trade back in like 99, something like that, when they were actually trading for an all-star. It was probably 97, excuse me. But uh, yeah, it's just one of those things we haven't really seen the Pacers do that very often. And so the fact that Tyrese Halliburton has kind of changed the culture of this team, he's a pass-first guy, like you mentioned earlier, that is going to be really attractive to upcoming free agents and guys that are maybe looking to get out in a trade. And so the Pacers have a lot of assets. They didn't, you know, give up too much to get Pascal Siakam, an expiring guy. Now there was rumors out there that the Pacers and uh, or Paul George and Tyrese Halliburton had even talked about maybe teaming up together in the offseason. I think that's probably unlikely to happen now that Kawhi Leonard re-upped in, in Los Angeles with the Clippers. But you just never know. I think that the league is always moving and there's always somebody unhappy and could the Pacers be that attractive spot absolutely I think Tyrese Halliburton will definitely do that and if him and Pascal have really good success I think that only helps make the Indiana Pacers more of a desirable location because of the fact that you know that worked together Tyrese was willing to work with him take a backseat potentially to let him be more of a scorer I, I think that there's a lot of ways to look at it but Halliburton just a super fun guy to play with and he loves playing the game a certain way that a lot of teams don't and more younger players, I think, enjoy that style of basketball ending in his playing. Yeah, that's one of the things I think this front office, when they acquired Halliburton, they saw that, you know, if he not only seeing that he could become a superstar player, but that his style of play would potentially attract other players. And that's tough to do. I mean, you mentioned Indiana, not only have they not traded for stars, but as far as being like a free agency destination, that's really hasn't been the case. They've had been a team that has to kind of build through the draft. And uh, to be able to have a guy like Halliburton that could now attract those players is huge for them. Um, and I know uh, when I interviewed Chad Buchanan and, and Kevin Pritchard like a year ago about Halliburton, you know, Chad had the great quote saying you know we see him as like our next Reggie Miller we're gonna have a a mural downtown of him someday like he is our franchise going forward you know talked about how just important he was not only on the floor but as far as the culture you know everything's built around around Halliburton and I I give them credit for kind of recognizing what he could become and then also the impact that he could have as far as recruiting and and guys wanting to play with him uh what's I mean having a guy like Halliburton now the Siakam trade is huge news what's the reaction in Indiana uh, amongst Pacers fans because I mean I feel like this has to be the most excited that Pacers fans have been in quite some time 
It is definitely the most excited I've seen this fan base be in a very long time. Everybody was, you know, super excited about Halliburton, but I don't think people really knew who he was when he came from Sacramento to Indiana. I think it was all like, oh, yeah, this nice guy that's on a rookie deal, second year is having pretty good numbers. You know, we traded Sabonis. That was tough because he was an all-star. But I think people were excited for change. And then when they saw Halliburton play for the very first time, they were mesmerized. And as he's just ascended the last couple of years, it's just been this continual love for Tyrese Halliburton. And then the fact that, you know, he's able to get a guy like Pascal Siakam to want to be here. The fact that a guy like Pascal Siakam said, I'd rather play in Indiana than Golden State. I'm more likely wanting to come here and get a long-term deal done. That speaks volumes to where this Pacers team is going. And and Tyrese Halliburton has definitely been the reason why everything has changed. And Chad Buchanan's spot on talking about a mural in Indiana because there's a huge one of Reggie Miller down there that's gorgeous. Uh, And I think a lot of people would just love to see Tyrese finish his career in that same sense. But I think Tyrese Halliburton is already way way ahead of his time in terms of where Reggie Miller was at this point in his career. I think Tyrese Halliburton has a chance to go down as the greatest Pacers player of all time if he finishes out his career here because there's been talks about him in MVP voting this year, like I mentioned with the All-Star votes. I mean, this is a guy that's really ascended himself into the limelight, and it was really just organically doing it, and it wasn't you know, because he was getting a lot of national attention. He kind of forced the national media to talk about him by the run this team had on the end-season tournament. So, you know, Pascal Siakam, fans are just excited because we finally have a one-two punch in Indiana that we haven't had in several years. So we talked about just the, the team is seventh in the Eastern Conference. Right now they're 23 and 17, number one offense, number one in pace. They are 26th in defense. But can you kind of talk about the, the success the team has had, especially you mentioned the in-season tournament. I think that was kind of like a coming out party for this team where maybe a lot of fans nationally that hadn't got a chance to watch them much, you know, got to kind of see them on the big stage and, and were really impressed with not only Halliburton, but just a the, the lot of the team. Uh, what's worked well for this team so far? And what are your thoughts on what we've seen from them, you know, to this point in the season? Yeah, I mean, if you go back and look, the last 12 games, the Pacers made a starting lineup change. They put Obi Toppin on the bench and Buddy Hield on the bench, and they started Jalen Smith, who is more naturally a center at power forward, and Aaron Neesmith, and they've gone 9-3 and three since changing the starting five. Before that, they had fallen to 500 after the in-season tournament. They went on this big losing skid, and everything seemed to be falling apart. And right now, the defense, 27th in the NBA with 119.5 rating as we're recording this on a Thursday night. But... Since that starting five change, they've jumped up to 15th with 115.6 defensive rating. So maybe that's where a Pascal Siakam can come in here and really help chirp the defense, give you some more length and a bit of a more defensive-minded presence than a guy like Obi Toppin, who is not really known for his defense. And you talk about Neesmith coming in for Buddy Hill. Buddy Hill's a great shooter, but Buddy Hill is not a great defender. And that is what Aaron Neesmith has done really well this year. And with both those guys shooting at a high clip, it's really changed things for them. You know, their offense has taken a bit of a dip in terms of uh, where they rank because they are still first in the league since uh, all season long. But since the change, they've fallen down to six, which is which isn't a crazy jump, but it's still you can kind of see where they've given up a little bit of offense to get a little bit better defensively. And their numbers have reflected in a better result nine and three over the last 12 games so yeah I just think that when you look at this team early on had a great run to the in-season tournament championship they beat the Bucks, they beat the Celtics um, and I and I think they they beat the Hawks in a crazy game like 157 to 152 they beat the Cavaliers so it wasn't like it was this easy schedule they had some tough games and so that really did kind of put them on the map and then Tyrese Halliburton just leading the league in assists 
showing everybody what he can do and, and putting this team on the map. But you talked about it. It's not just him. Miles Turner having a really good year. I think last year he really kind of broke out with Halliburton. Benedict Matherin, he's been a name that everybody was, everyone's been keeping an eye on. And he he kind of struggled early on as a starter next to Tyrese. But once they made that change to bring him off the bench and play more minutes with T.J. McConnell, it's allowed him kind of be that focal point of the bench like he was last year. And I think he's thrived in that a little bit better. I'm still kind of curious how that duo works moving forward because it seems a little clunky right now, Alex. If I'm going to be honest with you. Um, the shooting has gotten much better from Ben Matherin. Halliburton's talked about it in, in press conferences. Like we've told Ben to work on his catch and shoot threes be a lot quicker than he has been because he's more of a guy that catches the ball, surveys the field, and then drives to the basket, or he'll shoot after that. But they want him to be a little bit quicker with his decisions, and I think defensively he's had to take growth as well. So Ben Matherin's a big name to keep an eye on just because if he does kind of ascend into who they think he can be, that could be your third star right there. But it's a little bit too early to say that because he's been too inconsistent. Sure. Uh, Halliburton's only 23 years old, too. That's one of the crazy things. Like, you know, you look at how well he's playing right now, and, uh, you know, you could argue that he's in his prime, but it's possible we see him take another step forward, you know, as he kind of gets older. Um, What are your thoughts on kind of not only what he's shown so far in terms of his development, but what his ceiling long-term could be, or if he has remaining untapped potential? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, if you look at what he when he first came to Indiana, he was so pass first and really wasn't looking for a shot. Now, this past season and a half, he's really been looking for a shot a little bit more, hunting for it. And you're seeing those crazy threes that he shoots from 30, 35 feet away and he just caches them. He's so long that he can kind of slither through the lane and get to the rim quicker than you realize. And I've loved the fact that he's developed a little bit more of a mid-range jumper. One thing that we didn't really see from Tyrese was that mid-range game. And I know Rick Carlisle at one point referred to the mid-range as jail because Chris Duarte told the media that, like, I can't shoot the mid-range, it's jail. And so everybody kind of laughed about it. But with the way that they're defending Tyrese now, playing him so tight, if teams are on drop and they're not letting him get to the rim, he'll just pull up from 15, 18 feet and knock down that jumper too. So it's definitely just slowly adding more things to his game. I think the one area he probably could add a little bit more to is just getting a little bit stronger because we've seen two injuries now kind of hurt him pretty badly. And I know he plays a faster pace, but if he could get a little bit stronger, I think that that would help him absorb contact when he does drive to the rim, maybe get some more foul calls. And I think that unfortunately there is such a thing called as a a star whistle, a superstar whistle. And he hasn't really got that yet. And a lot of times I think it's because he doesn't really absorb that contact when he goes into the rim. But if he can continue to kind of get some more muscle on the uh, upper part of his body, because he talked about working out was not something he did a whole lot of. He didn't lift that much, but the Pacers have kind of made that a requirement for him to lift more. And I think that if he can just get stronger, you know, both upper body and lower body, I think it's just going to help him get better. So talk, talking about a ceiling though, Alex, I don't know. I, I'm curious your thoughts on what you think his ceiling could be, but I think there's a legit ceiling that he could be the best point guard in the NBA. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at just how quickly he's ascended and just how young he is still and just how talented he is, I also get the sense that he's a super hard worker um, and he's constantly working on his game in the offseason, during the season. I know the big step for him, and I wrote about this, you know, in that article I mentioned a year ago, was like you said, being more aggressive and and taking more shots because for a long time, he just did not want to shoot. And his Mm -hmm. agent, his trainer, the coaching staff, they were really pushing him. They said there was a great story that before every single game, his agent and trainer would text him 14 because 
because they had a certain stat, basically, that when he shot 14 attempts per game, the team was so much better. His stats were crazy. And so every game, it was like 14 attempts. You need to get 14 attempts. And it was hard for him because he does want to make the right play and try to get his teammates involved. And he doesn't think to look to shoot. This year, that's been different. He's been more aggressive and the field goal attempts have been there. And one of the things that he said during the interview with me was that he had been like watching uh, film of Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. And he's like, I need to become more of an asshole. <laughs> and I thought that was really funny. But he was basically saying like, I, I want to have that kind of uh, ability to just take over a game, put up shots and not feel bad about it. And uh, I, I love that. You know, he basically was saying, you know, I'm starting to realize that sometimes when you are the number one option and the superstar or the star player, you know, a shot from you, even if there's a better shot maybe on the floor, it, you, you do have to take those shots. And so I think that's been a big step for him now. Uh, obviously still a great passer, maybe the best passer in the league, as you said, and great at getting his teammates involved, but also can take over games and score the ball when needed. And I think he's only going to get better as a scorer too, the more he kind of works on it and gets comfortable. So yeah, I think best point guard in the league is definitely a possibility. I think he's close to that already. And I I think, you know, MVP candidate is legitimate. You know, we're starting to hear some of that buzz this year with how he's been playing. But I think, you know, in the next couple of years, I wouldn't surprise if that only gets louder and there's even more buzz surrounding, you know, an MVP type season for him. Uh, that definitely seems possible in, in my opinion. And then, yeah, I mean, greatest p- pacer of all time, too. That definitely seems possible just with what he's already accomplished. It sounds crazy. Uh, those, are, those are really, really uh you know, wild accolades or expectations. But again, the guy is playing extremely well at 23 years old. And then you talk about like the impact off the floor too. One of the things that Chad Buchanan told me was he's the only player that he's ever, you know, been around where it's not even just what he provides on the court. He was like, he's such a difference in terms of culture and energy every single day. Even if he couldn't contribute on the floor at all, we'd find a role for him in the organization, whether that's as a player development guy, a front office guy, a coach. He's like, you just want that guy in your building every single day. And so you talk about the off-court impact too, you know, day-to-day and potentially attracting star players, his impact is just crazy. Uh, So, yeah, I don't think it's wild to kind of throw some of those things out there and think he could potentially reach that someday. Uh, Last question for you. We talked about, you know, attracting a third star and stuff like that, which is definitely me getting way ahead of myself, by the way. Um, (laughs) But if you look at this season, uh, are there any other moves you'd like to see the Pacers make or certain types of players you think that, you know, could help this roster kind of take the next step? It's a good question. I'm still trying to figure out what's going to be available on the market for Indiana, but just because there are some question marks out there. Like what did they do with Buddy Hill's expiring $19 million contract? Is that a person they want to keep around because they like a shooting and his fit with Tyrese and Pascal, or, or are they going to look to move him just because they don't want to lose him in free agency for nothing? Jalen Smith has a player option. Obi Toppin is a restricted free agent. Could those guys end up leaving the Pacers too in the offseason? Is that something you do? I mean, I think they're going to look to see what's available off the top of my head. There's nothing really that's sticking out to me. One thing I will keep an eye on though. And I think some fans might already kind of feel this way in Pacer nation, but if Gordon Hayward does legitimately become a buyout candidate with the Charlotte Hornets, I think that's a name to keep an eye on only because there has been, there's been talks about him wanting to go to Indiana before he signed that big deal with Charlotte and there was a talk about a sign-in trade with uh, him in Boston where Miles Turner would go back to Boston, and Aaron Holiday was involved in that trade, but the Celtics refused to do it. They didn't want to – they were trying to call Hayward's bluff, and all that stuff went down. So he goes to Charlotte. They had the money outright, and they got the deal done. So could he come back where he grew up from and, and kind of be that piece off the bench? That's something to keep an eye on. But if they were to make a trade, I threw this out on our podcast the other day, and it's uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich with the Atlanta Hawks. If they're really going into kind of a rebuild here, reset – 
is that a name that makes sense to maybe bring in as your your sixth man off the bench? Do you look to trade Buddy Heald for him because he's got that uh, really nice contract lined up, and I think it's de- descending in terms of the amount per year too. So I think it's around eighteen million this year. If the Pacers could get someone like that, that's I think the leading scorer off the bench this year, around seventeen points a game. That's got to be significant. I, I don't know if Atlanta would be willing to move him, but I, I at least would be calling just to see. Hey, could I? Maybe give them a Buddy Hield and a young piece and a Jalen Smith or an Obi Toppin and get a Bogdanovich, or do I need to give away some kind of pick swap or something to see if that's a possibility? But I wouldn't be breaking the bank if I'm the Pacers at this point, trying to win right now. I would kind of just keep your, you know, keep your people close to you, keep that group that you have together that's played so well, and then if there's a deal that presents itself in the offseason, maybe you are a little bit more aggressive then. Yeah, I, I like both of those names a lot. I think that makes a lot of sense. And and other than that, I think uh, unless there's a, a great deal that you kind of have to jump on, I agree with you. I'd kind of stand pat if I'm the the Pacers. Mm. Um, well, what a year for Indiana, man. I mean, this huge trade, Halliburton's breakout, all-star weekend coming. Uh, very fun time to be a Pacers fan and to be in Indiana. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on, Alex. Thanks. Everyone, check out Setting Up the Pace, a fantastic podcast through Blue Wire Pods. As I mentioned, it's it's excellent. Definitely subscribe there and, and go listen. Check out the Blue and Golden Substack. Alex does a great job. And stay tuned. We're about to be joined by JC Cornell to talk some NFL playoffs and Bucks Lions. My next guest is the founder of the Draft Network, host of the Fully Loaded Bucks podcast. I'm joined by JC Cornell. JC, how are you? Good, man. Thanks for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun. What a fun week. Uh, I mean, I I didn't see that win coming. I I knew Philly had been struggling. We talked about it on the podcast, but the Bucs had kind of limped into the playoff as well with uh, two off games against New Orleans and Carolina, Mm -hmm. but then they absolutely dominated. That was a masterclass by Todd Bowles, someone that I had been very critical of, uh, you know, for the game planning, some of the mistakes. uh, You know, I I was talking about his clock management issues and wondering if he was the guy going forward, but obviously... His job is secure now. I mean, that was fantastic. What did you make of that performance against the Eagles and the job that Todd Bowles did? So I think the Eagles game really reminded me of the Super Bowl win against the Chiefs. When Todd Bowles gets another chance at a team in the same season, he tends to scheme up a defensive game plan that always works. So <clears throat> as you know, we were beat by the Eagles pretty badly. Not too bad, but he, you know, Bowles was kind of exposed there. And then he comes game plans and delivers like, like sometimes they're lining six guys up on the, on the line like he was really confusing them and you know hopefully he'll do the same thing with the lions yeah i think the fact that we played the lions earlier in the year lost to them the game was 20 to 6 but i think it was a closer game than people than the score indicates uh you know there were a number of opportunities the bucks had uh and it was a close game for for most of the way uh so he has another chance to kind of i know Antoine Winfield's calling it the revenge tour they have another mm-hmm. chance to kind of get some revenge um but before we move on to the lions game i'm curious how much of that dominance was the bucks looking great versus the Eagles just looking awful because it seemed like they couldn't tackle anyone. Uh, you know, short little passes were going for 50, 60 yards and touchdowns because they just could not tackle. It looked like a Pop Warner team out, uh, team out there. And then they didn't adjust at all either, uh, which I was surprised by. We didn't see any adjustments in the second half to the blitzing. Uh, how much of that was the Bucks versus how much was the Eagles just really struggling like they had all season or, or the second half of the season? You know, obviously, Bucks came into that game five and one in their last six. Eagles came into that game one and five in the last six. Uh, they are clearly cold. They didn't have much going on for them. I think, I think they missed their old offensive coordinator that went to the Colts a lot. Um, yeah. 
with the game plans and stuff like that. But it just seems the the chemistry that I felt from the Eagles team, you could tell they're in a bad place. Now, I don't want to take anything away from the Bucs. I think the Bucs game plan and the way they perform, Baker Mayfield on probably the biggest stage of his career, throwing over 303 touchdowns. You can't take it away from the Bucs. But yes, the Eagles definitely weren't in a good place for that game. Yeah, I think you have to give the Bucks credit still. I mean, Baker made some incredible throws, sometimes with like people in his face. Uh, the game plan, as you mentioned, it was the first time we've really seen the Eagles attack that way, and they just had no idea what to do. And the fact that they didn't make adjustments, they may not have known how to adjust. Seemed like they right. didn't. So, yeah, definitely credit to the Bucks coaching staff and all the Bucks players. So now going into this Sunday against the Detroit Lions, obviously the Lions are a really fun team. I think a lot of people are pulling for them because they're an underdog. It's been so long since they've been in the playoffs. Their last playoff win was 1992. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were Rams players saying that it was the loudest they've ever, you know, Ford Field was the loudest stadium they've ever been in. Uh, so it's going to be a crazy environment. I guess, what odds do you give the Bucks of pulling off this upset? I think they match up pretty well against the Lions. It kind of reminds me of this Eagles matchup, and it is another revenge game. Do they really have a chance here to pull off an upset again? I really think it's a 50-50 game. I know the spread's minus six and a half lines. I think, you know, when a team gets hot in playoff time, anything can happen. I think the Bucks are hot right now. Uh, obviously, the Lions are playing great. Um, Jared Goff's playing great. They have two stud running backs in Montgomery and Gibbs, but... The reality is if the Bucks defense comes out with Vita Vea, Kalijah Kansi, KJ Britt playing great ball and stuff that run, then you really got to just be worried about uh, St. Brown. And if Bowles puts together a game plan, I, I think this is a 50-50 toss-up game. Yeah, I think the home field advantage definitely helps them, but but I think the fact that it's going to be so cr- a crazy environment, you already have, you know, Lions players talking some trash, uh, saying mm-hmm. that, you know, we he's always talking trash. He is. And I, I feel like that's like the worst thing to do against a quarterback like Baker Mayfield. Uh, mm-hmm. There was an episode of In the Current, the Bucks YouTube series recently, and Dave Canales was like, the worst thing you can do is, you know, talk trash to Baker, disrespect him, and he wants to make everything a fist fight. And I feel like Baker's going to step up and have a good game. Their secondary is definitely weak. Uh, and like you said, the Bucks, especially in the second half of the year, have been a terrific run defense. So if you can stop that run and force Jared Goff to beat you, I think they have a real chance there. What do you kind of view as some of the keys to beating this Lions team? Keys for the game, like I said, you got you to gotta stuff their run game um, and, and make Jared Goff uncomfortable, which is tough because they have one of the best offensive lines in the league. And right now, you know, Yaya Diaby is probably our best pass rusher. Shaq's taking a step back, clearly, with that Achilles injury. So... You know, Bowles is known for the blitzing. Um, they got to get home against Jared, and, and they got to get him uncomfortable. Um, like I said before, another thing, they got to they gotta stop St. Brown from having massive plays, getting down the field. Um, I think Jamison Williams and I think, sorry, Jamel Dean matches up to well the Jamison Williams uh, with yeah. the speed-wise. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just stop the run and, and just play a smart game. I think the run game on the Bucks side, too, is going to be big. Just getting Rashad White going, uh, that's something that didn't happen in that week six loss to the Lions. I think if he can run the ball pretty well and they have that threat of the run, then that opens up so much. You know, they'll be able to use play action more. We'll, we'll see some more single high coverage. I know Canales has talked about that's a big key. Whenever there's single high coverage, you can attack them differently. And that's a lot of their best plays you know kind of require that look uh so yeah i definitely think the bucks have a shot in this one and it's gonna be a fun game i both i could see both teams putting up a decent number of points um I, again i think the atmosphere is gonna be really fun uh let's talk about baker mayfield uh, you were high on him since they signed him uh yeah. on twitter 
talking about buying his jersey. You got some crap yeah. for it early on, and and obviously that looks like a good decision right now. You got his creamsicle jersey. Um, what do you make of Baker's play? And obviously you the signing, but has he exceeded even your expectations? I think he's exceeded everyone's expectations. I think he's always had the potential going back to his days at Oklahoma. The guy can make every throw. I mean, there's no throw he cannot make. I think he got trashed on the Browns by OBJ's dad a little bit. Um, I think he's proven the the naysayers that say he can't hit his wide receiver one. Well, he's clearly had an amazing connection with Mike Evans. And, you know, I think he's he's really earned himself a long-term extension and a lot of money. Uh, people are throwing out some crazy numbers, but, yeah. you know, I'd, I'd expect anything <laughs> – I mean, with a win over the Lions, but sure, even the win over the Eagles and making the playoffs, he's already looking at forty to forty-five million dollars a year in an extension. And and the thing I I I like the most for the Bucks re-signing him is having Mike Greenberg because Greenberg, if you saw like the Geno Smith deal, there's there's ways to pay Baker and keep him at like one to one point five to two million dollars against the cap. You know, there's creative ways that Greenberg always works to keep and to just keep Baker here three, four, maybe five years. Seeing the Panthers interview Greenberg uh, for their GM opening was terrifying as a Bucks fan because he has been such an X factor for this organization, you know, figuring out ways to keep a ton of different important players. You know, he's a wizard with the with the cap. So I hope he, he sticks around in Tampa. But yeah, Baker's I, I the moment I knew they were going to re-sign Baker, uh, it's funny, a buddy of mine, Michael Gonzalez, ran into Jason Light outside of a Tampa Bay Lightning game and, and went up to him and said, you know, I love the Bucks. Thank you so much for bringing Tom Brady here. And the first thing Jason said unprompted was you're gonna love baker too like just wait you're gonna love baker and unprompted the guy's talking about tom brady and he's bringing up baker and raving about him uh and then my buddy actually it's funny he said uh just make sure you don't pay him too much <laughs> and J- jason laughed and and thought that was funny um but i, I definitely think that uh, a baker payday is coming i'm happy for the guy i mean he's so easy to root for very likable what happened in cleveland was crazy and now he's due for a monster payday in my mind, I, I'm hoping as a Bucks fan, obviously, that it's twenty to thirty million. But you think it's going to be significantly higher than that? I think I think it'd be anywhere from thirty-five to forty-five. But yeah. what what I did want to say was, really quick, um, yeah. with Greenberg, I'm I'm pretty close with Green Greeny. He he is not really wanting to be a GM. I'm sure he'll interview. He's a numbers guy, and he'll always tell you Jason's the personnel guy. So mm. sure, he can take a GM job, but then he would have to get it like a hell of a player personnel guy to, to go with him. I mean, he's a numbers guy through and through. Um, but I will say I was at a, a Tampa Bay event. It was a charity event, the Arians event. And I'm not going to say who said it, but someone in the Bucks organization said, just watch Baker can be, be here for a decade. Yeah, that's what it's looking like now. It looks like they kind of stole their their quarterback of the future. You know, to be able to get a guy that was drafted number one overall, sign him on a crazy bargain deal, four million dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for the season plus incentives. Uh, I, I think it's a great find by Light. And I know he Light even said uh, that he was pursuing us before we were pursuing him. You know, he right. saw the weapons and the opportunity and, and kind of realized that this kind of approve it year show what he could do and I think the thing is in Cleveland he had you know one or two really good seasons too he just played through injury I I think when Mm -hmm. he's been healthy he's been really effective so um, I'm happy for the guy I I think I I made the case the other day Geno Smith is three years older and Mm -hmm. you could argue that Baker has had a better season because of what he did in the playoffs now, especially if it's a big game on Sunday. Uh, And and Geno got 25 Uh, so if you're if you're Baker's agent you're walking in there and saying 25 is the starting point. We need even more right. because 
of his potential going forward and what he's shown. So, so I wrote down some notes. So if you want to go back to the year before Gino got that extension, he threw for 4,282 yards, 30 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Baker this year, 4,044 yards, 28 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. I mean, yeah, it's very similar. Both probably candidates for comeback player of the year, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. And then Gino, I think, struggled in the playoff game. He had we led in the playoffs that year, but he had a pick. And I think he had a fumble or two. So mm-hmm. I mean, Baker then played maybe his best game of the year on the biggest stage. And then who knows? I mean, if he plays well in Detroit, uh, it could <laughs> make this number get even a little bit higher. So I'm happy for the guy. Again, he's he's been through a lot, a lot of ups and downs. The guy was on four teams in an eight month span. Uh, yeah. To go from that to now, we're talking about you know hundreds of hundred million dollar plus payday mm-hmm. uh it, it's awesome and he seems like he's really taken to tampa too like he's at lightning games he's oh yeah uh, in the community uh raise so, games and yeah uh, him, I, him and his wife are having a child they're putting down roots they're you know they have local charities like he's he wants to be in tampa i i know people had mentioned maybe he goes to the falcons or some other quarterback needy team but i think the reality is he he loves tampa bay and he wants to make it home yeah, I think making a home is the big thing. He's been on so many different teams. He's had a ton of different head coaches and offensive coordinators. I think some continuity is something that he probably values. And he said that one of the things he looked for when he was you know, picking a team in free agency was structure and basically like an infrastructure in place that he could stay for a long time. So Winning I, culture I, I, and all that, yeah. Yeah, I'd be surprised if he if he left. Uh, and I think the Bucks are really lucky to have him. Um, so I want to ask you about this team's potential going forward. I think regardless of what happens on Sunday, there's a lot to be excited about if you're a Bucks fan. Uh, I saw a Pew Report had an article that uh, of the last two drafts, Jason Light has found 10 starters, which is pretty <laughs> wild. And there's just so many, like, exciting young talents across this roster, like bright spots that you can really get excited about if you're a Bucks fan. What do you think of this team's potential going forward? As you mentioned, uh, I think this year was tough with, you know, $80 million in dead cap. Mm-hmm. Now going forward, it's going to get a little bit easier to, you know, add some pieces and they won't be in, in cap hell. So what do you think this team could do going forward? You know, I think they're the one thing they have to do is no offense, just replace Shaq Barrett with a rookie. Um, the most mocked player to the Bucks so far um, is Leitu Latu from UCLA, the edge rusher. Um, the only reason he's falling to the Bucks pick is because of prior injuries. He's had a couple ACLs. But that guy would be a home run pick for Jason moving forward. I just think – and then there's other people talking about, you know, with the cap space um, going up this year, them going after Brian Burns. Um I, I really think they got to solidify. I think we have a stud in Yaya, but we got to get someone yeah. on the other side that's very effective because we can't always rely on crazy blitzing and stuff. We need to get yeah. home with just our core four guys. You mentioned uh, the Super Bowl victory over the Chiefs. I mean, that was one of the biggest things in that game. We didn't blow like crazy it was the, the core four that were you know kind of wreaking havoc there uh and, and pressuring Patrick Mahomes and I'm excited about uh Yaya obviously Vita Vey is a, a stud and then Kalaja Kansi what a pick I mean he I, I saw PFF had him graded as the highest interior defender uh, of the wild card round not even just the rookie all interior defenders mm-hmm. it seemed like his stats may not jump out, but he was uh, in Jalen Hurts' face all day long during that game. He's, you know, making tackles for a loss. Uh, what do you think of what he's shown so far? I mean, he's he's going to be an absolute star. Um, I was actually told, so he went to Pitt. Aaron Donald went to Pitt. Um, they've been compared to each other. I, it's kind of hard to compare someone to Aaron Donald, who's maybe one of the best ever to ever do it. Um, but uh, my source that was at Pitt said if – Cansey made it to the first pick of the second round. The Rams were going to package a deal to go get him. 
And mm. sure enough, you know, I think it was a surprise when Bucks fans saw Jason take uh, Cansey, but it's it's been a home run. And uh, the funny thing is, his first game as a Buck was against the Lions, and he had a hell of a game. But that he was just learning at that point. Now he's ready. He's ready to go. Yeah, he looks comfortable and confident. Uh, that's interesting. The Rams are going to go after him. I, I think it makes sense. You know, you had the success with Aaron Donald. Um, I feel like they they kind of look at past players they've had success with and kind of follow that archetype and go find similar guys. So it makes a lot of sense. And that would have mm-hmm. been an insane combination, Aaron Donald and Cansey. But I'm glad that we have the insane combination instead with yeah. uh, with Vega and Cansey. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I want to talk to you about Todd Bowles. There was a lot of talk about him being on the hot seat. Admittedly, last week on this show, <laughs> I yeah. was saying that, you know, I don't think you can win a Super Bowl with him. I really was let down by, you know, some of his mistakes during the year. I talked about the fact that, you know, multiple games where there were too few guys in the field, block management issues, even some of like the messaging and and how he handled the Devin White situation or certain things like that. Um, But I got to give it to him. That was an incredible game plan against the Eagles. As you mentioned, you know, six man fronts, crazy blitzes. It looked like they had no idea what to do. Uh, And, and, um, Greg Alman just wrote a great article talking about, you know, how so much of what Bulls has been building kind of culminated in that game. You know, he's at the office every day at 3.20 a.m. and putting in all this work. And I give the guy a ton of credit. I mean, he he worked mm-hmm. super hard to, to go to the divisional round of the playoffs with 80 million in uh, dead money on the cap or on the books. Uh a ton of young players starting, you know, the most undrafted snaps of any team in the league. There's a lot to celebrate if you're, you know, Todd Bowles' agent and making the case for why this guy needs to stick around. And I think there's zero chance they get rid of him now. I mean, uh, he's coached his way into uh, maybe multi, you know, several years of uh, safety or job security at this point. Uh, How did that game change your perception of Bowles? Well, I think, honestly, if they would have got dominated by the Eagles in that game, I think it's a different story. And I think the Glazers and Jason Light might have had to think about making a move. Um, yeah. I think right now, the league, it's pretty clear. You want your head coach to be an offensive coordinator because for, like, just Todd Bowles, for example, they they might lose Dave Canales to a head coaching job. And then you kind of get in this cycle of always having to hire new offensive coordinators promote guys you want content like you just want the same guy calling the plays like especially yep. for for baker mayfield so i think you know T- todd Bowles as a head coach is kind of a, a dying breed um but as long as he's having success and they continue to have success there's no reason he won't be the head coach but he did say there's an interesting quote that he's he's not going to be coaching forever and and a part of that is you know say todd Bowles got fired do you really think he wants to go back to being a defensive coordinator no he, he wants to be a head coach so We'll see how many years he lasts. You know, I I put out, obviously speculative. I was like, maybe Glazers and Jason Light are thinking of a similar thing that they did with Arians and Bowles as like a successor with Canales being successor to Bowles. But, you know, it's too early for that. But, you know, I don't know. I, I know the Glazers aren't going to want to uh, lose Canales because what he's shown as a rookie play caller and the, his leadership, re- the reality is Canales' leadership is the best attribute he has. Yeah. It seems like every day he's the kind of guy that's like bringing energy and positivity in the building. And I mean, that's infectious. You've heard players talk about that. They, they love the guy. Um, and you're right. In today's NFL, teams would rather hire an offensive, up-and-coming offensive guru, you know, preferably, one or two years Preferably early. from the Shanahan tree. Yeah, that helps too. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but it seems like they're hiring these guys 
like one or two years early instead of missing on them. Um, mm-hmm. So if you're a guy like Canales, even though you're a first-time play caller, he's getting these interviews uh, mm-hmm. or, you know, one so far with the Panthers. Um, but if they have a great game again on Sunday, then and he did it, you know, twice in the playoffs, then all of a sudden his stock is going to be really hot. I think it helps the fact that there's so many great head coaching candidates out there right now that he'd have to beat out some really, you know, big names to, to get a head coaching job. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. You know, a lot of teams want that offensive-minded head coach for that reason. And yeah, maybe there is a succession plan there, like we saw with uh, New England too, with Jared Mayo. Maybe they can work something out where it's like, hey, Canales, you stay here. You know, we'll we'll pay you well, and eventually mm-hmm. you'll be the successor of Todd Bowles. Because yeah, I think the quote was, you know, he's in his 60s, and he said, I'm not going to do this in, in when I'm 70, and I don't know how many more right. years I have left. And it was in reference to him talking about going to the a facility every day at 3.30 a.m. and yeah. how, you know, it's not really sustainable, especially for someone in their 60s. Mm-hmm. That's tough, man. I, I cannot wake up at 3 in the morning. I stay up till 3 in the morning sometimes. Same. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm in the same boat. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm curious to see how much longer he coaches and, uh, you know, maybe Canales is the answer long term. But uh, I want to ask you this. What is your Super Bowl pick as of right now? I'm on the record on this show uh, picking Niners over Ravens. You know, I would love to to see the Bucks have some Cinderella story and go on a Super Bowl, but I think this Niners team is pretty legit. Uh, what's your Super Bowl pick at the moment? Um, so I would love as a homer to say the Bucks are win the Super Bowl, but we'll be realistic. I think there's two teams <laughs> in the AFC. Obviously, the Ravens are playing so such good football, and that would probably be my pick. My dark horse for the AFC to go to the Super Bowl is the Houston Texans. I think what C.J. Stroud is doing with, with his offensive quarterback coordinator Bobby Slowick um who's another rising star for a head coaching position but they could get hot and they could beat everybody um but I think personally I have Ravens over Niners in the Super Bowl so we have the same pick just a different winning team yeah. Uh, but yeah you're right this, this Texans team is a ton of fun the fact that they're doing this too without Tank Dell is, is really impressive you know he was obviously a big difference maker for them earlier in the year but you know CJ Stroud looks like a veteran out there it's crazy what he's doing as a rookie Nico Collins is awesome their defense you know that D'Amico Ryan is leading is, is incredible uh that's gonna be a fun game this weekend Texans Ravens mm-hmm. um I'm curious when you look at this Niners team I saw uh there was a quote uh, I think it was a former Raiders executive said that there's seven great quarterbacks remaining in the playoffs and Brock Purdy. And so they were saying Baker Mayfield is one of the seven great quarterbacks. And then Brock Purdy, I think the argument was that Purdy's more of a game manager and like a product of his system. But that quote got some attention online, uh, you know, kind of putting Mayfield up there with uh, the the Lamars and, and Josh Allens and Patrick Mahomes. What do you make of that? Well, I just think anyone that Shanahan plugs in succeeds. I mean, could you imagine Baker Mayfield on the 49ers playing for Shanahan? He'd be That's absolutely lighting it up. Like, yeah. probably have a bigger season than he did this year with the Bucs. Um, I just think Shanahan's just obviously an offensive genius, and he knows how to scheme guys into success. I said the same thing. It was th- it was posted in a group chat I'm in. And I was like, put Baker in that offense, and, and he's putting up monster numbers. Uh, Purdy, I do give him credit. You know, he he doesn't make a ton of mistakes. I think that's probably his best attribute there, and why Shanahan likes him. But when you look at this Niners team, what is so dangerous? I, I guess they to me they're they're very well rounded. They can kind of do it on on you know both ends of the ball. But what what stands out to you about this Niners team? I mean, obviously Christian McCaffrey, who's best running back in the NFL, and can basically play wide receiver if he wanted to but yeah. i think the biggest thing with the niners is nick bosa and chase young that's terrifying i mean having those two edge guys is you just will dominate games 
Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, if they're not dominating offensively, they're definitely going to do it defensively. So that's that's the thing. You know, no matter which side's having an off day, the other one can kind of pick up the slack. Last question for you. There's rumors that Bill Belichick might go to Atlanta. He's had two interviews now. As a NFC South opponent uh, and rival, what are your thoughts on on that? And do you think that would be a good move for the Falcons? I I, I wouldn't hire Belichick. I mean, I, I'm not scared of Belichick going to the Falcons. I think... Uh, he's one of the one of the greatest coaches of all time. I I think Andy Reid's right up there with him. But um, I just think I don't know, man. He might be past his time. Tom Brady. I'm not saying Tom Brady carried his career, but I mean Tom Brady made a pretty big statement when he left the Patriots and won one with the Buccaneers. And I, I think there is some leaked quotes from Robert Kraft saying how the Bell Bill said Tom was done and he goes and wins an effing Super Bowl. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I think Belichick's great as a defensive coach, but I think offensively his team has struggled so much. And I think it's interesting. If he goes to Atlanta and doesn't have GM control or like personnel input, I think that would actually be better for them because a lot of their drafts, they've made some strange picks and, and picks that haven't worked out. I think if he's just focused on coaching and kind of works on the defense and brings in like a, a great offensive mind, maybe it could work out. They obviously have a ton of talent over there, but it, it's going to depend what that looks maybe like. Maybe Josh I mean, McDaniels, right? <laughs> it is it is crazy he cycled through the same people and, and hasn't that hasn't worked super well uh in recent years but yeah I mean defensively I think it'd be big for them I'm not sure how it would affect their offense or if he has you know GM powers essentially what that would mean for like their draft picks uh but we'll see it's definitely interesting uh I appreciate you joining me it's always fun to talk bucks yeah, and, and break down the NFL uh where can people find your work um on Twitter I'm a Cornell NFL and then I mean that's basically it Oh, and you can follow my, follow my podcast, Fully Loaded Bucks, um, Fully Loaded Podcast, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast. We're on all the streaming services, so give it a listen if you like Buccaneers content. Definitely follow JC on Twitter, too. I got to say, during Bucks games, especially like when, when something oh, crazy man. happens, I'm, I'm going to your Twitter account and seeing the reactions. It's always great. Uh, you know, and, and a lot of times, I feel like you kind of say what I'm thinking, so it's always fun to, to see the well, feed I appreciate that. Uh, in real time. But yeah, definitely follow JC and uh, check out the podcast. And if you guys want to hear more episodes of Running Up the Score, you can watch on Twitter, you can watch on YouTube, listen on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Until next time, thanks for watching.